Okay, okay. Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's up and praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, I don't know where you are in the world if you're watching, but it's a beautiful day outside for us. It's a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord only if one more time. You've heard me say this before, and if God willing, you'll hear me say it again and again and again. I'm just grateful that our last time here was not our last time here. Amen. It's also great to see your beautiful faces once more as well. Uh, and so we have a word for you today. I hope you came to give God some praise. I hope you came to hear a message because, quite frankly, that is the agenda today. And that's all I have for you. But we're going to give God some praise in here today. Amen? Amen. Okay, so listen, before we dive into the word, let's touch base with our creator in prayer. Heavenly Father, who art in heaven, blessed be thy name. We just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for another day to walk your soil to breathe your air. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for another chance to get it right. Uh, we have dropped the ball so many times, and you have forgiven us every single time, and so we're just grateful. We want to say thank you. In this moment, Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless your messenger, for we know that your message is already blessed. We pray that you take complete control, Heavenly Father, so that your will may be done on earth and in this church as it is in heaven. God is Heavenly Father. Decrease me and increase you within me, Heavenly Father. And we also want to pray that you continue to cover and protect our shepherd as he and his family is away from the house. Uh, J.D. is out doing your work still, Heavenly Father, but also looking for that peace and that rest. So restore them until it's time to come back and get back to work, Heavenly Father. But keep them. Protect them. Let them know that we are thinking about them and we love them just as we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have been with us uh, for the past couple of weeks and if you have been watching us online, then you will know that... Pastor J.D. has been leading us through the book of James, and he has been unpacking this series entitled Untended Fires, Untended Fires. Um, and I was extremely excited when J.D. asked me to become a part of this series, uh, not only because I get to continue to do God's work, but because before we had the conversation, Jesus and the Holy Spirit was already speaking into me a message that aligns with the theme. And admittedly, I was praying and I was asking pointedly, Lord, please give me a message that I can reveal to your people. And per usual, he gave me a message that left me feeling challenged, convicted, and even in some cases, a little ashamed. Uh, and so I'm going to bring that word to you today. I remain excited about it because this particular word packs a powerful punch. And if any of you have ever delivered a message in front of a body of people, you know how difficult it is to deliver one message that connects equally to everyone in the room. But this message right here, no one is exempt from. I don't care if you're between the ages of five and seven or 50 and 77. And so we'll speak to you today from a simple subject that the Bible has referred to as the untamed tongue. And so if you have your Bibles or your iPhones, uh, your, your iPads, whatever it is, join me in the book of James chapter three where I will be reading for your hearing verses 1 through 10. Again, that is the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I will be reading from the ESV version. And the Bible says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, 
They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. And so I'm going to pause for a second because I just imagine some folks thinking, why didn't Brother Edges read verses 11 and 12? I had to ask myself the same question, and then I realized just how much I appreciated how verse 10 just sort of sums everything up. These things are not to be so, period. And it sounds like something I would say, so that's what I ran with. Now, um, I'm just going to dive back into the scripture. We'll unpack this together. Uh, we won't address every single verse in deep detail, but I assure you that the message will still be complete. Amen. And so if we're starting in verse 1, I can't help but notice the fact that James starts his message with a warning. He said, not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I giggled the first time I read this verse, and not because the verse was funny, but I giggled because it made me nervous. And it made me ask the question, am I prepared to face the greater judgment? James is saying we can't take any teaching position in the church lightly because it comes with great responsibility, and that responsibility comes with great accountability. And I can imagine it's sometimes easy to sit on the outside looking in and say things like, I can do that. I can be a kid's leader. And that's partly because we might think that our Christ Kids ministry is all about rolling out the coloring books and singing happy songs. Now, that might be a part of it, brothers and sisters, but it's important to note that kids' ministry has a direct impact on some of God's youngest children with malleable minds. And in some cases, the kids' ministry is the first exposure to the Word of God for many of the kids. And I don't mean to put any pressure on our sisters, Kayla and Natalie. I'm just saying. James said not many of you should become teachers. Now, listen, I can't sing a lick, but I love the songs of Zion. But just because I love singing the songs of Zion doesn't mean that I should try to teach music ministry. Some might be wondering, Ed, how in the world can you go wrong by singing the songs that worship the Lord? Well, then I'll ask you, have you heard some of these new songs lately? Some of the way these lyrics express affection for God makes me feel weird, awkward, and sometimes even dirty. I can't be the only one in here who has ever walked away after hearing a worship song wondering who exactly are we worshiping in that song? If you can relate, say amen. Amen. Some of these songs today don't mention the name Jesus. They don't mention God, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And so who are we singing to and what are we singing for? James indirectly reminds us that it is a great responsibility and a great accountability that comes with even leading God's choir. And so I want to give a huge salute to our brother Nick, who has been doing a phenomenal job uh, for Christ Church Charlestown. I salute you, brother. And I'm paying close attention to your lyrics, especially after what you said today. But this is why James said, not many of you should become teachers. 
Some have seen how the pastor can make the people laugh and incite admiration and love from the congregation. And you might be thinking to yourself, I can do that. I'm a lovable person. I can make people laugh. And that might be true, but it means you might want to consider comedy before you consider ministry. Keep in mind, James is delivering this message at a time when the popular thing to do was to take up a position in the church. You see, people envied the prestige and the prominence that illuminated the positions, but they didn't seriously consider the price tag that came with the position, which was the judgment of God. And let us be reminded that the judgment won't come from your children, they won't come from the choir, they won't come from the congregation. As a matter of fact, they will judge you too, but the judgment that counts will come from your creator. And so Jane goes on to say in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Now you have to admire James in this context because given his influence, given his position, he could have easily excluded himself from the statement, but instead he included himself in the struggle. He said, For we all stumble. In many ways, pointing directly to the common weakness that all mankind faces. Pardon me. Now, when James speaks about stumbling, he's not talking about uh, tripping or having some fatal fall. He is speaking in particular about the ways in which we stumble with our tongues, that is, with our words. And we can't even begin to recall half the ways in which we do that. You see, for instance, most of us stumble by way of error. So error is simply defined as making a, telling a lie by a mistake, for example. This is the person who believes in their heart that what they said and or what they did was true. Now, they may learn later that what they said or what they did was untrue, but we give them the benefit of the doubt because it came from a good place, and we call that an error. Nonetheless, it is a stumble of the tongue. Some of us stumble by way of omission. Now, this is when we leave out relevant information or pertinent details. Have you, ever had someone tell, uh, have you ever had someone say to you, I didn't really lie to you, I just didn't tell you the whole truth. I just left out a few of the details. That's, brothers and sisters, passive deception. And we do it because it is easier. We do it because it is less risky. We do it because it involves less guilt. Nonetheless, it is a stumble of the tongue. Then there are those of us who stumble by way of exaggeration. And the interesting thing about exaggeration is that it typically begins with some truth. We all have that grandfather or that father or that uncle or that family member that loves to talk about that one time they went fishing and they had this huge tug of war with this beast of a fish. And when they show you the size of the fish, they show their hands like this. But when you see the actual picture, the fish is like this big. Sometimes we just can't help it. Exaggeration has become a part of our nature in some cases because when we tell stories, we want to represent something that is greater, something that is bigger, something that is more impressive, and so on. And even though it feels harmless on the inside, nonetheless, it is a stumble of the tongue. And finally, there's the obvious way by which we have all stumbled with our tongues, and that is fabrication, which is deliberately inventing a false story. I call it a bold-faced lie. Some of you like to call it a little white lie, but a lie is a lie is a lie. And James said, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. Now, I am sure there's at least one person in here that has never told a lie before. I'm just going to ask that you stand up so we can see your face. No one. Amen. 
You get the point. So we're just scratching the surface by the ways in which I talked about how we stumble with our tongues. We haven't even begun to speak about the gossiping or the boasting. We haven't mentioned the slandering or the cussing. We haven't spoken about the complaining or the unrighteous judgment, the manipulation, the critical spirit. You know, those of us who love to criticize everything about everyone. And this list goes on and on and on. It begins to feel like it's impossible to avoid these traps. It begins to feel like it's out of our control. But James says in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So here in verse 3, James points to a horse to help us understand the dynamics between the power of the tongue and the importance to bridle the body. You see, a, a horse is a huge, fast, powerful animal. And according to horseback.com, with an approximate speed of 200 miles an hour, an average horse, not even the big dog, not the stallion, just an average horse can kick with around 2,000 pounds of force per square inch. To put this into perspective, that's more than the hardest punch any professional boxer could ever throw. In other words, a horse could kick your face loose. And I wanted to test this theory a little bit. Um, we took the family to Canopy Lake yesterday and they had this mechanical punching bag, you know, you can just punch it and it will measure the pounds. So I hit it, you know, I didn't give it everything I had, but I hit it. Uh, and I think, I think, and let me know if I'm lying, baby, but I think it reached about 850 or something like that. 850, that's not even half of what the average horse can do. But if we put bits in the mouth of the horse, we can control its entire body. So what's a bit? The bit is the metal bar that goes in the horse's mouth. Uh, it sits in the back of the horse's mouth behind the teeth, but it sits on the soft tissue in the horse's mouth. Then we attach reins to that bar, and when we yank on that rein, we can make the horse go forward, backward, sideways, etc. We're talking about an animal powerful enough to run 30 miles an hour with a human on his back. We're talking about an animal, an animal powerful enough to pull a 100-pound wagon full of junk and still travel mile after mile after mile, but yet it can be controlled by a bit in its mouth. Now, some of you might be thinking, especially my animal lovers, Brother Ed, if I rested a metal bit on the soft tissues in the back of your mouth, I can control you too. True. That is true. And I think James anticipated that comeback, and so he gave us another illustration to consider. In verse 4, James says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. For the record, a rudder is a vertical blade. It usually sits in the back of a vessel. The vessel can be a ship, a submarine, a helicopter, or an airplane, but it sits in the back of the vessel, and that vertical blade can be turned to change the direction of the vessel when it is in motion. Now, don't get me wrong, for those of you who love to Google things right away, if you Google a rudder, you're going to see that there are some rudders that are pretty large in size. But if the rudder is big, that just means that the vessel or the ship is huge, but the point that James is making by referring to the bit and the rudder is to simply say the power of the bit and the power of the rudder is not in its size, but the power is in its effectiveness to control. The one who controls the bit controls the horse, the one who controls the rudder controls the ship, and the one who controls the tongue has the power to gain some self-control over his body, but far too often we allow the tongue to control us. In verse 5, James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
Now, in this context, James isn't talking about boasting as in bragging, which some of us do a lot. For some of us in the room, bragging is culture. Listen, I'm 42 years old, and I can't run up and down the court one time without needing a timeout. I might not hit any points, but I promise you, I have a little boasting in me somewhere. I'm always going to have something to brag about. It has become a part of my culture here. But James isn't talking about bragging as in, I mean, boasting as in bragging. Instead, he's talking about how something as small as a tongue can have the capacity to affect massive uh, results or to affect massive results. Solomon writes in Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death, life, tongue. Think about that. The things that we say can build or destroy. The things that we say with our tongues can help a child blossom or destroy a child's life. Death, life, in a tongue. James compares the tongue to a bit of a horse in the rudder of a ship. And so the question must become for us, who has their hands on the bit or the rudder of our mouths? And if we listen close enough, brothers and sisters, you'll find that many don't have any hands on the reins or the rudder at all, and therefore they say whatever they want to say, whenever they want to say it, however they want to say it. And sometimes they'll defend their recklessness by saying something like, I'm just speaking my truth. I have the right to speak my mind. But in Proverbs 29, 11, the Bible says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. In other words, only a fool speaks his whole mind. Why? Because as explained in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire an entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The tongue, like a fire, can set our entire lives ablaze. Think about that for a second because some of us have missed out on some great opportunities in life because we couldn't control our tongues. Marriages have been destroyed because we couldn't control our tongues. Lives have been shattered because of the hate, the discouragement, and the confusion spoken into the spirit of those listening to the words that come from our tongues. Hearts have been broken and hardened because the words that flow from the tongues of our loved ones. James wrote, the entire course of life can be set on fire by hell. So to put that in another way, our thoughts and our words can be influenced by hell. And hopefully all of us know by now that Satan is not the author of your sin because Satan can't make you do anything, but he does have the power to influence. And metaphorically speaking, if we give Satan the reins to our tongues, he will control us. If we give him control over our water, he can direct us. So what does this mean for us? It means that we have to completely surrender the reins of our mouths and allow the Holy Spirit to steer our tongues. And trust me, I get it. It's easier said than done. I know that, but it is still necessary. And the thing you need to know above all things is that you cannot and you will not get it done alone. James tells us plainly in verses 7 and 8, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Why, Brother James? Because it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's amazing to me how we have figured out how to tame every creature in the world, but we can't tame this little muscle that is in our mouths. 
It is humanly impossible. It requires divine intervention. Therefore, the tongue must be brought under the power and under the control of the Holy Spirit. And this is really our hope, our only hope, good people, because by nature, our tongue has a contradictory character. Jane goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So simply put, we use our mouths to bless our creator, and then we use the same mouth to curse or condemn his creations. Now, I might be the only one here who can admit this, but I know for a fact that I have used my tongue to bless God and to praise God and to pray to God. And in the same hour, not the next week or the next day, but in the same hour, I have spoken a harsh word towards someone else. I am guilty as charged. And James reminds us, brothers, these things ought not to be so. And so listen to me. Just because taming the tongue is not humanly possible, uh, it does not mean that we are excused from the responsibility or the accountability of our words. Because as explained in Matthew chapter 12, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. So on one hand, we may not be expected to tame the tongue, but on the other hand, we are expected to bridle it. To bridle the tongue is to control the body. If you're still with me, say amen. So I'd like to share three simple, short, sweet points uh, to help us think differently about what it means to tame our tongues with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course, and then we'll figure out how to wrap this up. Uh, interestingly, when I started thinking about which points I was going to share with you, uh, the first thing I decided to do was just uh, start reading through a whole bunch of different articles. I started YouTube and sermons, old sermons of untamed tongues. I started looking at all these different commentaries, and so I just paused for a second. I prayed, and then I realized that all of the information that I needed was in the good book. In fact, it came from one particular book within the good book, which is the book of Proverbs. And so I'm going to share with you three simple points that all come from the book of Proverbs. And the first point is coming from Proverbs 15, 1. So that's Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. And it simply says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In other words, we have to watch our tone when we speak to people. Sometimes what we say is not as important as how we say it. In fact, if most of us just think back to our last argument, it probably started because of the way you said something to someone or because of the way someone said something to you. But the Bible tells us a soft answer is the key. Point one. Point two comes from Proverbs 15, 28. And it simply says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In other words, we have to think before we speak. Again, only a, a fool will speak his whole mind, but a righteous heart will stop and ponder. It will stop and think. And in that moment of thinking, I want you to ask yourself, what would Jesus say? Now, I know some of you are laughing on the inside, like I did when I first read this myself. But in the 1800s, uh, Charles Sheldon wrote this book entitled, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? And most of you probably know that what would Jesus do became this really popular saying. And a lot of Christians, it, it became sort of a personal model for a lot of Christians who used it as a phrase to remind them of their moral imperative to act in a manner that demonstrates the love of Jesus. Today, when we hear the term, we tend to laugh at the same, but I encourage you to reconsider. The next time you find yourself in a moment when your mouth is on fire and you just feel like you're about to say something, ah, stop and ponder. What would Jesus do? 
because when it is all said and done, and one day it will be all said and done, you will have to answer to him, and you will be held accountable for every word you speak. And finally, point three comes from Proverbs 17, 28. And the Bible says, even a fool who keeps silence is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. In other words, shut up. That's it. We have to know when to be silent. We have to know when to close our lips. We have to. We have to learn to hold our peace. Many of you have heard me say, hold your peace all the time. And when I'm talking about holding your peace, I'm talking about P-E-A-C-E. -E. That's your peace of mind, the peace in your spirit. But I'm also talking about peace as in P-I-C-E. I'm talking you to hold your tongue. Everything that comes into your heart and into your mind does not have to come out of your mouth, even when you know you are right. Sometimes you just have to hold your peace. The Bible says, shut up. I'm sorry, just for the record, the Bible doesn't actually say, shut up. That's, that's a translation. That's a stumble of the tongue. Apologies. And so to help sort of bring this to a close, I just want to talk to you. I want to share with you a familiar story. Um, it should be a familiar story to most of us, if not all of us. And it's about a shepherd boy uh, who tended his master's sheep. He tended the sheep near this dark forest, not far from the village. But soon that little boy learned that life in the pasture was boring, and so he thought of ways to amuse himself. Uh, he remembered that his boss told him to call out for help should a wolf ever attack the flock, and the villagers would come running to drive away that wolf. And so now, even though he hadn't seen anything that even looked like a wolf, he started running towards the village shouting, wolf, wolf, wolf. And as expected, the villagers who heard the cry dropped their work and they began running with excitement towards the, uh, the passage because they wanted to fight off this wolf. But when they got there, they found this little boy rolling on his back just laughing at them. A few days later, the shepherd boy again shouted, wolf, wolf, wolf. And again, the villagers ran to help the little boy only to find him sitting in a tree, pointing down and laughing. And then one evening as the sun was setting behind the forest and the shadows were creeping over the pasture, a wolf really did show up from the underbrush. And immediately the wolf begins to attack the sheep. And so that little boy began to run towards the village and he was shouting, wolf, wolf, wolf. But even though the villagers heard the cry, they did not turn towards the cry because they decided, you will not trick me again. The wolf killed many of the boy's sheep and then slipped away into the forest. And some versions of the story says that the wolf even got the little boy. So what's the moral of that story? No one is exempt from the message. Even little boys better learn how to bridle their tongues because liars are not believed even when they are speaking the truth. We have to strive to stumble less. We have to strive to bridle the tongue and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. So James really got it right here when he tells us that uh, the tongue is a gospel matter. Taming the tongue is a gospel matter. And so as followers of Jesus and as children of the living God, uh, we have to have this discipline, which we have been called to, taming the tongue because we will be held accountable. The Bible says, bridle the tongue. Our grandmothers would say, don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash. And a wise man once shared this final thought with me. He said, the truth is, we don't get this right all the time. He said Christ died for our sins, including the small sins like a critical word or a small fabrication of truth, a.k.a. a lie. We pray for grace to stumble less, and we let the Spirit tame our tongues more. But we thank God for Jesus' grace because we don't always get it right. 
Taming the tongue will not be easy, but it is still necessary, and it will always be necessary. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. So let us just let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for your word. We want to say thank you for your people. We had the option of being anywhere else today, with anyone else today, Heavenly Father, but you put it in our heads and on our hearts and in our spirits to come together today, Heavenly Father, as one body in Christ, to praise you, to honor you, and give you the glory that you deserve. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the message reaches everyone who is under the sound of my voice in a way that it might transform their thinking about what it means to tame the tongue. We pray that the message was clear, Heavenly Father, convicting, so that we'll leave here today, Heavenly Father, chewing on the idea and thinking strategically and critically and biblically for what it means to tame the tongue so that we might bridle the body, Heavenly Father, for this is your body, it is your temple, and we pray that you take complete control. We love you, we honor you, we magnify your holy name for all that you have done, all that you have been, all that you continue to do in our lives and in this world around us. We pray that you keep us, cover us, continue to guide us, redirect us as needed, because we cannot do it without you. Without you, we are nothing, but without us, you are still God, and we honor that. We ask all these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.